This episode is dedicated to Mikolai Chervinsky, Michael, Robin Cook, Sam Stein, and Ivy for becoming our newest Southpaw supporters and helping to make this project possible. Hello everyone, and welcome to Pride Never Die. Today I am joined by a special guest, um, someone I've looked forward to talking to for a while, um, Casey Petrick of Prairie Community Defense. Hello, Casey. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited to uh, be on the podcast. Oh, no problem. I've been uh, actually thinking about this. This is like one of the conversations I was thinking of when I very first started um making the podcast because I pretty much came up with this idea and came up with the idea that I would like to try to start working on some community defense in my area. And then pretty immediately saw your page on Instagram and was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> oh, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much. That is exactly what I, you know, what I put all that content up for and, you know, try to get all that reach for and play the algorithm, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for fans of the podcast, people who are listening that might not know, um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and exactly what it is that Prairie Community Defense is and what you do. Awesome. So uh, my name is Casey Petrick. We already said that. Uh, I am a, um, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I'm a trans woman. Um, I have struggled a lot with addictions issues and poverty. Um, I've been into all sorts of social activism starting when I was 12. I, uh, you know, lied to my mom a lot and lived at the Occupy camp for a little <laughs> bit. Um, sorry, 14, not 12. Um, and from there, um, basically like it was really, uh, something that I would notice again and again, uh, within activism really was a general uh, lack of self-defense. And that was sort of my first introduction to things and how really complicated um, the concept of self-defense and community defense uh, actually was. So what Prairie Community Defense is, is um, while I was going to personal trainer school, I first started coming out as trans and I started openly uh, dressing uh, as a trans woman or very hyper femme uh, to mm -hmm. start as a lot of trans women do. Um, and I had forgotten my insulin at home and I was coming down to the LRT platform from personal trainer school. And I uh, was wearing a, a shirt that showed my belly uh, skirt. I had a purse on and a wig and um, uh, a guy noticed that and approached me on a bmx and he you know called me a hateful slur as he rode by and he grit his teeth uh you know you could tell his teeth were were clenched as he said it and um yeah so so what happened following that was um a confrontation that resulted in a uh attempted stabbing a slashing um at, at my stomach and from there uh luckily i was able to fend uh off the attack with some basic uh low leg kicks which is <laughs> definitely not advice right. that i give out <laughs> if you're on my page you never hear me being like somebody pulls a knife you kick them in the knee you got this um calf kicks all day yeah yeah no it was those um john jones uh those chasse footy for the savant people out there, those sideways uh, like sidekicks to me. Yeah, the oblique kick. That's what they call that. Um, yeah, no, it was a couple of oblique kicks. And um, I managed to use these weird square benches. If you're from Edmonton, you'll know what I'm talking about. They're kind of like big stones. Um, and they're, they're shaped in this figure eight pattern. And I was able to use those kicks and this figure eight pattern to get around. Um the attacker but uh what happened afterwards that was really motivating for me was actually not so much the attack but just looking at all the people around me watching the attack 
and just who have watched it happen and didn't say anything or do anything, um, even verbally or physically. And I was really, you know, wanted to understand like why that happened, how that happened, um, and what could be done to prevent maybe a similar situation uh, from happening again. And it was really hard for me to talk about because oftentimes the people who would be comforting me about these situations, um, unfortunately, would have also been sitting there watching the, the situation unfold as a bystander. And it was hard for me to listen to people be like, damn, I can't believe those people would just sit there knowing that the reason for them sitting there was that there was no training available, that they had no structure or guidance in how they would deal with a situation like that. So I decided that um, I would seek out um, a lot of the martial artists that I was very much looking up to, uh, you know, Raul Ramirez, Curran Jacobs, like big name catch wrestlers. And I would talk to them about starting my own project, um, heavily influenced off catch wrestling, uh, to teach for uh, trans and non-binary people and uh, any cis person, obviously, who would want to get involved, who would want to um, protect uh, their community. And it was originally called Queer Trans Hand to Hand. Okay. I changed the name, yeah, just to better reflect the values I was looking for, which was community defense. Well, I like that a lot. I like the um switch eventually to community defense i do think it's important to start out with like a base sometimes um Mm -hmm. like and i think that's uh something i've found myself is that like starting with things focused on your own community and then building up throughout the community as you go is really a good way to get started definitely and i didn't want a name that made people feel like they were being outed or i would notice that it would make people feel a little uncomfortable the name of the gym, just some of like the, uh, some of the cis guys I was training because they didn't want it to be a reflection that they were, you know, queer. What right? if someone sees me walk in? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah, right? yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, in, in self-defense classes that I've been that were taught by, you know, um, more of the right wing base of martial artists and cis men um, and the way those are structured, not only are they not helpful for the people really defending themselves, it's also, it doesn't ever address anything about being a bystander yes, or how to prevent things or what to say or any of that, which I think is a very, very important thing you keyed in on there that, you know, of course, bystanders didn't do anything because what what are they going to do? Right, like they don't know, and especially if no one if no one is there to take the first step, no one else is going to. Oh, definitely, that's definitely it, and it definitely was. Um, yeah, it was quite intense, and um, it really it really was eye opening as well because I thought that you know people would have would have been vocally confrontational, but as I would learn. The more I researched, it's very rare for people to be vocally confrontational with someone unless they feel that they can deal with the physical confrontation from someone. And that applies even in uh, basic nonviolent scenarios where someone is um, just, uh, you know, trying to pressure you into something. Um, The subconscious, uh, the subconscious is still thinking about this potentially violent scenario regardless of how irrational it may uh, present itself. Yeah, yeah. I I think that there's really, yeah, a lot to that, like, that I try to get across to people when I have people that are friends just kind of ask me about, like, self-defense or community defense. It's a lot of being, like, a lot of what we're going to start with is just how do you even deal with someone trying to pressure you or talk to you or convince you of something or anything like that? Because if you can't get through the emotional stress of that how do you handle physical confrontation yeah no and i i had a really great um talk with a um a ex bjj professor who is now selling uh, mma insurance and he was he had a great <laughs> talk with me about um how to better explain to insurance people what i was doing and i think it also helps beginners and the idea is just that 
self-defense is about desensitization. It is about slowly putting people into scenarios that give them some sort of uh, discomfort or fear that are obviously related to to self-defense, and then um, building that intensity as time goes on. And regardless of your martial arts style, I think that that's something that definitely can be said applies to pretty much any application of self-defense. Um, oh, I wanted to circle back to when you said about the right-wing uh, instructors and like chud instructors. Um, one of my hugest triggers when I go into a self-defense class is when they talk about running away and how you should just always run away and how clearly you've picked this fight if the fight is happening. <laughs> and I think that that is a huge trigger for someone who was on an LRT platform. <laughs> like I, I had stairs on both sides. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't happening. There was no getting away and I was attacked for being who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that a lot of instructors just cannot understand. And it's something that is becoming more prevalent. This isn't just a dunk on everyone, but I'm very glad that it's something that's becoming more prevalent as well. Yeah, that's something I think a lot about, like, in those scenarios, because that's always what you always hear is like, you know, just run. It's the only way to really keep yourself safe is running away. And like, what do you do if you're on a subway or a bus or just anywhere that there's not an exit for right like 90 percent. you'll realize that like 90 percent of your life is in situations where you probably can't create range and you probably cannot run away and there's also just like i've i went to personal trainer school like i said i've been a personal trainer for three years and there is a certain ableism in in telling people that running away is the best self-defense because it assumes that their body is going to be better at running than wrestling. But when you study this, you know that running is a highly athletic movement. It's a high repetition movement, and it requires your kinetic chain to be in pretty good check so you have a good gait, good balance, etc. And for a lot of people, their posture may already facilitate a fighting stance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're already uh, you know, a little, a little hunched over themselves, right? Um, and that can really be helpful, uh, and that can really be, be helpful for them to know that maybe running away isn't your best case because, you know, you use a walker, but you can still fight and you are not helpless in this situation by any means. And that something like, uh, wrestling or jujitsu or something like that may be better adapted to your situation than running away. Or it may give you the advantage that you need to run away. Right. Yeah, I think that's in- incredibly important to always think about. Something I want to circle back to is um, with all of the like, just psychological stress of handling these situations and training for them, I was curious to hear a little bit from you about how you like to handle kind of bridging the gap between making training fun and also training for that realistic scenario where you are going to be full fight or flight. So it starts at 5.45 a.m. with an ice bath. No, (laughs) (laughs) basically it starts with wherever I can meet the person where they're at. Uh, Something I was going to mention, actually, you talked about uh, earlier about having um, sometimes students meeting once a week. One of the things when I first started this uh, program that I really wanted to have is super casual training. I have students that come sometimes once a month, and I just wanted to say that these students do make gains. They do gain desensitization. They do get good at what they're doing. And it is much, much better than nothing. So what I do is I start however I can. If someone's not comfortable with touching, I won't start with clinches. I'll start with pool noodles even. And pool noodles are another great thing that someone can use to uh, avoid that touching uh, at first and get somebody used to the idea of getting closer and touching. Um, And just using the pool noodles at first to sometimes mimic the arms if I'm trying to teach them, say, a uh, double elbow clinch or a double bicep clinch, it's sometimes called. 
or sometimes I'll use the pool noodles to even say, just get them in a stance. And I'll use the pool noodle to say, okay, I want you to just reach your hand out and touch that pool noodle so you can start to build an understanding of range. And then from there, uh, I'll build it based on their intensity. One thing I do not do that I am not fond of is anything that breaks consent. Um, so I will not ambush my students. Yeah. I will not. Yeah, exactly. You would think, right? But there are some Mm -hmm. people who expect that of me, who I've met who expect that of me. And they think less of me as a coach because I won't just randomly attack them. But it's just not something that I am going to uh, prepare you for. It's not something that I think is realistic. And it's not something that I think is, uh, is, is valuable to me uh, as, as, as a coach, not to, again, not to dunk on other people, but that is, um, (laughs) that is is a bit of a dunk, I guess. Don't, don't randomly hit your students, please. If you're ambushing (laughs) people, that's like a self dunk. Yeah. Yeah, You've dunked on yourself by doing this. (laughs) No doubt. It's a false positive. Yeah. Right. Because you're doing so many things that, that, that like a cult would do. You're, you're hitting the person, you're disorientating them, and then you're telling them it's true. So if you're if you're hitting someone to prove that your technique works to them, well, chances are they're going to believe it works whether you're proving it or not. Right. And that's regardless of the efficiency of the technique, right? Yeah, at that point, you're just mugging someone and then being like, well, <laughs> I know how to fight, right? <laughs> yeah, no. And they'll like, yeah, they'll definitely, they might love it for a while, but like, oh, you know, I can't say that it's a it's an ethical way to uh, an ethical way to do things. That's that's in my opinion. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's so important that talk about consent and just really making sure. Oh, the other thing with with new students who are really, um, really struggling with um, with with the mental conditioning of practice, I really just assure them that they're not going to kill me. Right. And then I really remind them of, um, you know, the, the slogan I'm always posting, you are worth defending. Mm-hmm. And I break that down because it is a way to fight shame and it's a way to fight self-blame. And I break it down and I do more than that. I'll say, you know, you are worth the pain that may come from this move going wrong. I know you're worried about me hitting myself. No, oh, I'm choking up a little bit, you know, because I understand that fear. Yeah. Um, I understand they're worried about what's going to happen. They may need me in the groin. It happens all the time. (laughs) But you know what? It's you learning how to do that double leg takedown is worth a million knees to the groin and headbutts and all the accidental stuff that's just part of learning. Because the, the people I'm teaching who have trouble play fighting, those people are the people who are really going to need this stuff. I can't believe that those people are going to go around, you know, mugging people or jumping people with this stuff. You know, I think those are the people who are going to need it when they really have to need it or use it when they really have to use it. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, as well as our private chat group on Discord. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing too. It's like that's one of the important things about being able to reach those people is the people that are more timid and more scared of that contact. It's that is in them for a reason mm-hmm. and they need those tools to be able to protect themselves and to heal from things. That's a, that's been a big thing for me. And, uh, that I try to kind of bring forth with students and stuff that I've been training lately is, you know, not only can you use this to help yourself in the future if you're in a bad situation, but also for things you've been through in the past, you know, feeling more empowered, that can really help you just kind of feel like you've grown. Totally. And that's so perfect. And that, you know, it, it reminds me of something. Uh, I had a new student a couple weeks ago, actually, and and I just said to them, they were so they were so freaked out and and you know their friend said hey you can trust this instructor you know this is my friend you can trust them and i said you know 
I'd prefer it if they were skeptical of me. We are here to build skepticism. I'm here to teach you that most assaults come from people you know and not strangers. You know, I'm here to teach you that people will rip you off (laughs) and that people will fight dirty and that people will fight mean. Um, And that, you know, that, that you not, you not trusting me is like, that's your step one, listening to your intuition. Your intuition is so important and it's so vital to you learning self-defense. If you're worried about going in somewhere and blindly trusting someone, that's why you shouldn't blindly trust anyone, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of getting people's mental conditioning too, because it teaches them that like, oh, I don't have to trust people to exist in the same space as them. Yeah. Like, I think a good thing that from what you brought up there is uh, like having that little bit of skepticism and being able to embrace it and then also overcome it through your actions and prove over time that like, no, I am a coach who's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ambush you. Like we've talked about, I'm not going to go out of my way to hurt you. I'm not ever going to do anything like that. But I also am going to still let you keep that skepticism because you're going to need it. And that I want to foster that skepticism. <laughs> yeah, right. I want I want critical students, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I think that's important. That's something I've been trying to do after some of my like beginning sessions of getting new students started is to literally sit with them and be like, okay, so you know, it's been a day since we trained. What did you like? What didn't you like? Like, is there anything I did that you think you could like improve on that you think you would learn better a certain way? Oh, totally. Totally. That feedback is super important because everyone learns in vastly different ways. And for becoming a coach, one of the things that I will say about, you know, becoming, excuse me, becoming a coach that I sort of learned the, um, learned the hard way is that you will have an awesome curriculum and you will teach the first three moves of that curriculum over and over and <laughs> over and over. And you need to focus more on learning learning styles and how to keep yourself calm after you get hit in the head a bunch of times. Um, so, you're, you know, not getting grumpy even, even in these scenarios. Again, not to dunk on other coaches. I am a grumpy coach. I try not to be, <laughs> but fair warning i get my head bonked it happens yeah (laughs) you know but those are the areas where i would say new coaches should focus like because i've taught the snap down more times than i can than i can even imagine like the snap down just again and again and again and again and it's like um it's like what i've realized especially when you're trying to train in in cultures where martial arts is not common and what I mean by that is like the, 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 um, you know, queer LGBTQ plus community, um, martial arts is not common. It's not a co- common culture. Yeah. So I think that that's, yeah. And I think that that's, that's an important factor to that. And touching on that, um, mm-hmm. something I've been curious about myself as someone in the queer community who has a background in martial arts, um, I've been wondering how do I how do I make martial arts and different combat sports more fun for queer folks so they so that they can kind of start to build that culture and like I don't know what <laughs> that answer is ever going to be um, I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you still keep up with any like combat sports that you watch when you're not training Yeah I I am a huge 1FC fan Everyone knows I rant nonstop about one FC, <laughs> the kicks to the downed opponents, like just oh, mwah, chef's kiss. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I've found that is really successful that I've had a lot of good feedback on um, is fight nights. So what I'll do is I'll take a one FC recording, for example, and I will just get um, all my queer friends together. None of them know anything about fighting, but a lot of them like to hear me talk. So we all get together and we basically, everyone can do whatever is comfortable for them. Um, I'm a smoker, so we, we smoke and we, we have fun. And, um, yeah, I basically just explain from my perspective as a martial artist who is 
not nearly as skilled as the fighters on the screen. Um, <laughs> what what I think is happening and what strategies I think they're going for, and sometimes what strategies I would have gone for, right? Because you know, I got to throw in my opinion on there. Put me in that cage. <laughs> I'll show them. <laughs> you know it's always one of my favorite things is people that know you train while you're watching a fight together being like well you could do that right hey you yeah. could do that <laughs> yeah exactly maybe maybe yeah, once exactly. <laughs> maybe once i tell you about not trusting your coach yet no um, <laughs> yeah me, me and demetrius johnson here we go I, I can tell you from breaking down all of his fights no not that i would get my ass beat by demetrius johnson um, <laughs> turns out i'm a lot slower than a professional athlete <laughs> yeah exactly yeah these damn mats are slippery <laughs> <laughs> uh, those logos my damn bad shoulder was acting up <laughs> that's that's our version of like never making it to the nfl or whatever oh totally totally yeah. and that's actually oh wow i didn't i have so many notes here and i didn't put this down but <laughs> something really disheartening uh was i trained i started training way before i came out and one of the things I was really hoping to do before I came out was um, take the catch wrestling I had learned and bring it to Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. And it never really hit me until I actually came out and I got it all changed, like my marker and all that stuff changed, uh, gender marker. And I was like, oh, there are no competitions for me. Mm -hmm. There is no co-ed sports or anything of that nature for um, people who are either early on their transition or who are not going through with the like bioessentialist, you know, uh, hormone uh, treatment program, but still want to have their identity recognized in the sport. Yeah, that's um, that's something I've had to deal with myself, and I know that even like. We've had trans women MMA fighters, but even then, it's been such a fight to get them into any fights at all to allow them to have a career that's not full of just hatred and bigotry being thrown at them every second of every day. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's hard for me as someone who is not on like not taking a ton of you know estrogen mm -hmm. to hear you know a lot of these conversations being centered around how much estrogen or you know how long the fighter has been taking estrogen right or and that being deci the deciding factor of whether or not it's fair and a lot of these people you know think they're speaking out as trans allies and like in a lot of cases certainly they are but in a lot of cases there are things being reinforced that are kind of purple for a lot of trans women who maybe they want to compete they want to be sport and they do feel that trans women and cis women or whatever, you know, are equal athletically, you know, and they do feel that way, uh, regardless of the hormonal whatever. Um, and I think it's hard for them to hear these conversations, um, being that I'm one of them and, <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, still feel that, uh, there's a long way to go, I guess, mm -hmm. in terms of, um, in terms of co-ed sports and, uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I am so happy I got to talk about co-ed sports on this today because it was a big thing that has been on my mind and I'd love to have other people feel validated and, you know, just to talk about that because it's a rare conversation to hear of, about co-ed sports at all. Right. That's something I'm hoping myself kind of rises from all of the um, interest in community defense programs and different self-defense programs and things for queer people is that maybe one day we can all kind of have our own little like queer smokers and events. And yes. even if we can't have a big competition, having any competition at all for all of these, just all these people that have been waiting for years for anything. Yeah. Like I had trained, I trained hard for, for a good five years and I had every intention of competing as an independent, uh, BJJ competitor. Um, for those who don't know my background, I probably should have brought that up a little earlier. Yeah, um, we should have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started, should have asked you. No worries. No worries. But I started <laughs> wrestling, uh, when I was 12 years old 
Um, my, my, my mom and my dad were both, um, Thai boxers. Uh, my stepdad being a, uh, amateur Thai boxer, my mom being a hobbyist. Um, so I started doing that at a pretty young age as well with them. Um, not a significant, uh, amount of training though, I would say, um, until I got my, uh, BJJ tapes for those who have done the Gracie blue belt program. Yeah, it was the highlight of my life. I got some puzzle pieces <laughs> and me and my friends and anyone I could get my hands on was getting that taste of that jujitsu. Um, yeah. And just learning those moves from there was just awesome. Um, and then I started getting into catch wrestling online and I was just amazed by the massive, massive cannon and all of these different submissions I had never heard of. And all these cool moves, which again was a bit of a pitfall for those of you doing pro wrestling tutorials right now, hoping <laughs> to learn catch. Like that is a pitfall. It will cost you in the long run. Um, but yeah, yeah, and that was why meeting uh, Raúl Ramirez of Catch Wrestling Alliance was such a huge, huge uh, turning point for me uh, in my catch wrestling in my catch wrestling. Um, journey because it helped me cut out a lot of the techniques that were um i guess less less principled in in catch wrestling and that's why i say a lot of my stuff like you know maybe that isn't catch wrestling that isn't catch wrestling because like catch wrestling is very specific to the methodology to the history and to the move sets that you're using and i what i found was a lot of the catch that i thought was authentic catch was um was pro wrestling because of the way that it was being done. If a move starts at a pin and transitions you to a different move, it's obviously not a catch wrestling move because catch wrestling ends with a pin, for example. That's interesting. And then I have, since then, I've had a lot of really awesome experiences. I've been able to help people who were victims of um, fascist stalkings. Um, I actually unfortunately was the victim of that myself and uh, i've helped people who were um targeted by kiwi farms actually mm -hmm. yeah so that was uh that was quite interesting for those who don't know kiwi farms is a online uh hate site that got quite uh quite a bit of popularity with the far right circles they target trans women yeah I've that's uh it's come up in a bunch of different circles where that's happened. It's in martial arts circles, people have been targeted by them, and it's also happened in like the video game world. It's happened all over the place. Pretty much anywhere trans women are, they'll find a way to torment them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that is exactly it. And I one of my big inspirations for what I'm doing as well, um, I just wanted to give a little shout out to this. If folks have not heard the women's war podcast before, um, that was, has been an absolute huge motivating factor for me to keep going. And for a lot of, um, I guess, I guess like for me, it's just like a motivating factor, but it's also a really cool framework, the sort of women's protection units and the protection units of the SDF, um, and stuff like that. Uh, it's, uh, that's going on in Syria right now. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, like, for you, what is your goal? Where would you like to see community defense go in the future? My goal is that this becomes a cookie cutter framework. My goal is to have a situation where we are all safer because we are all understanding the warning signs of danger. We are all understanding how to intervene in that danger. And we are all better off because of it. I think that it's not a golden ticket. And I really want to stress that this is not a golden ticket for answering violence. However, I think it is an immediate answer to violence. And I think that that is something that is very necessary. Um, because we have a lot of people right now, especially if you're an activist and you consider yourself part of the larger amorphous left, um, we have a lot of people right now who are artists, who are medics, who are 
you know, very capable in all these different ways um, outside of community defense and outside of self-defense. And it's not that these skills can't be adapted or that they are not part of community defense as well, but there is clearly a lacking in the immediate physical response we have to violence. So my goal would be that this spreads far and wide. Everyone's doing their own community defense thing and we're all safer and better, better off because of it, or at least that we have very good footing for political organization because of it and real tangible political power. I think that's very well said. Thank you. You're welcome. And then, um, Something else I wanted to ask you about, because I know, I know you have thoughts on this, I, and they're probably pretty similar to my own. Um, I wanted to ask you about what you've experienced as someone within the um, LGBTQ community, being a trans woman and also being someone who has a history with martial arts and with addressing violence. Yeah, I have experienced a lot. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot of gaslighting, both from the martial arts community um, and the queer community, unfortunately, um, to a lot of, you know, wealthier people who've just never experienced violence, never seen this reality, never even been close to this reality, who don't think it's necessary, who think that I am encouraging people to become martyrs. Um, you know, who think that the idea of community defense is basically just be a dumb hero and do your kung <laughs> fu move on a gun or something like that. Like I've gotten messages like that. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot more nuance there that needs to be had, but also in terms of like going to other people's gyms, um, I've gotten concussions while shadow boxing being invited to places where I told there would be no sparring. Um, like it's, I, one of the biggest things that I run into and cis men, if you're listening right now, listen close. Okay. If you see a trans woman and you become extremely competitive with her, yes, she notices that you are not extremely competitive with all the cis women in the gym, that you don't even like look at them as competitors but you see this cis woman as your biggest competitor, your biggest test of skill, et cetera, et cetera. It's something that I run into time and time again, especially being that I coach my own practice. Um, a lot of cis men find this intimidating. They want to put me in my place. They know that I am critical of a lot of the principles of certain elements of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, mm. Yeah, because I'm a wrestler, right? And they want to put me in my place. They want to own me with jujitsu. They want to do the Gracie challenge on me, right? <laughs> and it's just like really super uncomfortable. And you can clearly see that they'd never do that to a cis woman. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, you could see it from a mile away. Um, also like warn your gym that a trans person is coming. It is not going to be any less weird or any more politically correct for you to just surprise your gym by letting a trans woman show up. Trust me, it would be so much better if you tell your coach, Hey, a trans woman is coming. There might be issues about this like because it'll so much better prepare everyone in that situation, not to be a total jerk, not to be like, is this a joke? Because they'll know it's not a joke. You told them it wasn't a joke. They'll know what to say regardless of their opinions on trans women or anything aside, if they call you by the proper pronouns and they know that you're coming, then that can be a huge, huge uh, deal for the trans person coming to your gym. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of cis people, when they think about that scenario, they want to try to seem like they're hesitant because they're worried about embarrassing the trans person. But really what's going on in their head is they're worried about embarrassing the people that they know are going to be fucking weird. Yeah, totally. That's totally. all it is. Like, <laughs> No trans person is embarrassed about being trans. They're trans. They came out, they're doing it, they're living their life. Like, you don't need to be worried about that. Right? No, they're much more scared of asking their coach to let me into the women's change room. Mm-hmm. 
and you can for those of you who haven't seen a picture of me, go look at my shaved head. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially if you coach some like you know like you're you don't have trans people at your gym. You coach like women's kickboxing or like fit kick or something. <laughs> Imagine me walking into the change room. Like you know, it's better that people have warning. It's way easier for me to mitigate. Um, I don't personally go to many gyms. Um, after, after that situation happened, um, because I find that I, I don't feel welcome in these spaces and it is too much of a risk for me. I don't want to be in a change room with no cameras or even on a mat with someone who's going to literally have my neck in a vice and could just kill me, pass me out, make me uncomfortable, do any sort of like horrible thing to me and just call it an accident. You know, like I'm not, I'm not going to go through that sort of antagonism. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it 7 days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity, by supporting us, at patreon.com, slash, southpawpod. Yeah. I think that's another one of the reasons why when I um, found your page and found Prairie Community Defense, one of the things I felt really happy to see and inspired by is to see that there were more trans people that were training other trans people who don't fit any sort of passing, like they don't look cis. And that's because I know I have trans friends that do go to commercial gyms and are able to train and stuff and it's usually people who are really far into transition have either medically transitioned or have been on some hormones and can kind of pass to a fair degree Mm -hmm. kind of have a little bit more success going to commercial gyms but myself um you know i have a five o'clock shadow any day i don't shave and i'm like 235 pounds so if I show up, like, and they don't know I'm trans, it's going to be a thing. It's oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, for sure. No, and it's such a it's such a big deal for them to act like it's no big deal, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, and it's so true. And there's that that huge, huge like. This is why I've been so inclusive, and one of the reasons why I say like. I want to be a resource because I'm definitely not an expert yet. And I think people, when they first see me, like their first thought is like, this person is young to be a coach. Like what? <laughs> and like, that's a valid, that's an absolutely valid response. I am not here because I have a bunch of belts and medals to hang on my wall. I'm here because I got stabbed in a dirty transit station <laughs> and, right. I wanna, and I want to help other people learn the basics of what I think saved my life. You know, because I think that two people, you know, one of the things that I say, another one of my little slogans that I like is when they turn to attack one of us, they turn their back to the rest of us. So if we are an active community and we are trained and we are ready to go, laces up, socks up, you know, and we can engage a person with two people rather than one, or even insinuate that that's happening. I feel like there's a good chance that that person will be forced to back off what they're trying to do. Absolutely. That's um, that's two things that I really enjoy is uh, first off the bringing that into, you know, having a community that's ready to defend each other is the people, people of all sorts, they will not really go up against the numbers game, especially if what they're trying to do is bully. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really not something anyone's ever going to do. That's that's exactly it though. And I think the other thing too is just like the training as desensitization. It's super important to talk about the idea that like if you have not done any desensitization, you are not going to move. It is more than likely that you will sit in the same spot and um 
and in, in just not react to the situation. Because as much as you and I was just watching a great po- uh, talk on this yesterday about um, pre-warning signs for active shooters, but they were talking about like, as much as you are maybe ready to die, as much as you consciously may tell yourself that you are ready to throw your life on the line for something, your body is not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your body is not ready to go yet. And overcoming uh, your body's signals is going to be an incredibly difficult mental exercise. And you are making the most important decision of your life. One of the first advice I give in self-defense is look in the mirror before you leave and decide exactly how someone will touch you or how aggressive someone will be before you fight back and tell yourself exactly what you're going to do. Are you going to punch them, elbow them, etc.? Because you do not want to be making the most important decision of your life at the time when it's most important, mm-hmm. right? Because if if that's the decision between you getting, you know, like, like, you know, stabbed is one of the gentle things that someone can do to you if they have you at knife point. A person can do a lot. Um, you know, like, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things that you really, really need to be uh, focused on, in my opinion, and trying to, uh, trying to train to avoid that, that total freezing um, you know, and pushing, pushing past it. And I think that's a big part of just drilling, uh, literally anything combative to start. Yeah. I was going to ask if you had any advice for someone who is queer and feels like they don't have any, you know, training options around them. They don't have anyone around them who's interested in training with them they don't feel safe going to commercial gym. How, how would you go about advising someone that's in that position where they feel isolated, but like they, they need to learn how to Mm -hmm. defend themselves? Yeah. The first thing I would do is I would, um, I would, there's a few things I would do. So if you're really interested in getting training partners, start a social media to track your progress. Even if you're a little bit embarrassed about it, even if you don't want to be showing how your kicks and punches look right now, a social media is going to draw people who may be local, who may be feeling the exact same way. That is a big part of how I got training partners. And the second thing I would recommend is to find a good source on YouTube that you would like to learn from. Uh, I like hard to hurt. Uh, I like hard to hurt. I like fight tips. There's just a ton. Uh, YouTube is endless. Um, but <laughs> Find a program that allows you to do some shadow boxing and get some shadow boxing in as much as you can. Learn about visualization, really academically study this. One of the things that really helped me start fighting was realizing that I have an academic edge. I have an academic edge at fighting. And not a lot of people realize that that is very, very valuable. And if you can learn about, uh, you know, pre-warning signs, de-escalation, shadow boxing. You can make yourself fast and explosive um, just by training this shadow boxing. One of the biggest tools that I used was just the tips of tree branches. I would walk up to a tree branch. I would place a branch next to my chin, one next to my belly, one next to my knee. And those would be the branches that I would use as targets for kicks, punches, uh, and elbows. There is definitely a large, large portion of my training time in which I had no one uh, whatsoever who wanted to train with me. And that is exactly how I did it. Great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no problem. I think we're getting near the end of our time, but I wanted to real quick ask if there's anything you wanted to plug, anything you wanted to let people know about. Um, I know Prairie Community Defense is always doing a lot. So if you have anything in the works. Absolutely. So yeah, right now our uh, Patreon, we are trying to promote our Patreon. So we got our Patreon up and running. We have group classes, book clubs, all sorts of different stuff. Prairie Community Defense is a bit of a mixed bag. If you didn't know, we do everything from physical defense, natural survival skills, de-escalation, fitness education, like anything you can think of related to preparation and survival of your community. We are all about it. So if you want to join us on the Patreon, we are doing our book club. We have group classes. 
We have a whole video library up there as well, specifically of instructional techniques that would be great, especially if you're trying to train for yourself. It starts at two bucks to get in on that Patreon. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. That is, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Raul Ramirez of Catch Wrestling Alliance again, because just an absolutely vital uh, role in me having enough self-confidence to even get out there and um, and start showing off that, you know, I am not, I am not an expert, but I am a coach that is, you know, worthy of people's time and can teach some things. Yeah. And that's a, something that Sam um, actually helped me feel a lot better about myself is like, I only have eight to nine years experience training and uh, I came into it being like, oh, that's not a lot. Like, I don't know if I can really be a coach that feels like I'm young, all the same things you were saying. I'm, you know, not as well trained as other people. And Sam looked at me and was like, do you think, like, do you think like a collegiate wrestler would be like, oh, I've only trained for eight years. I could never coach anybody. No. No. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Right. Uh, (sighs) Yeah. Somebody told me that, like, it's about your reason to teach. And, And he said, like, you're so intimidated because most people's reason to teach is because they are the best, if not near the best. Your reason to teach is different and that's okay. It's okay if your reason to teach is that you feel like you can help motivate your friends or you're good at interpreting a YouTube video. And, you know, uh, like some of the things I've done for people, there are large YouTube video martial arts movies out there, uh, movies, instructionals, and you can just plot the time down for your friends and show them how to how how you would train this move just put the idea in their head yeah i think i think it's also just a extension of a popular thing in the queer community which is low self-esteem yes absolutely <laughs> we are we are definitely quite uh quite a beaten down uh beaten down on ourselves that is definitely certainly can be uh well Thank you, everyone, for listening to Pride Never Die. Thank you so much, Casey, for talking to me and for doing everything that you do. Um, It was lovely to get to spend some time with you. Um, If you like what we do here at Pride Never Die and the rest of the Southpaw Network, please support us on our Patreon. Um, We've got so many different shows that are in the works now. We have a Deep Space Nine podcast that is being worked on. Sam is always putting out different interviews and working on writing. That's always fantastic. Um, there's a queer pro wrestling podcast that's being worked on. Um, just keep your eyes open for all of that. Um, and thank you so much. And then um, where can people find uh, Prairie Community Defense? Yeah. So Prairie Community Defense, we are on Facebook and Instagram and Patreon. And uh, also Linktree. I'm not sure if you can search things on Linktree, but yeah, <laughs> you're on all those different social medias. If you want to find me there, I would be happy to help with anything you need. I also just wanted to say that uh, all of my services, as always, have been uh, pay what you can. So don't let that be something that stops you from getting advice or protecting your community because you are worth defending and you are worth training. Thank you so much. And thank all of you, and I will see you again soon.